Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At KPB, we don't think money should dictate who has the opportunity to play college baseball or who gets to make informed decisions throughout the college baseball recruiting process. And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys, and welcome to the latest episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This episode's guest is no stranger to the podcast. You may remember him from his first appearance on the show way back in episode two. We're talking with Pfeiffer University head coach Jordan Stampler. Stampler has led the Falcons to back-to-back 30-win seasons after going 30-8 and this season and winning their postseason tournament. The Falcons will be eligible for the NCAA postseason after successfully making the transition from Division II to Division III in the 2020 season, so you can look for them to do big things again next year. We bring Stampler back to talk about recruiting, talk about the summer, talk about the culture that he's building in the Falcons program and other college baseball topics. So without further ado, we'll get right to the podcast. We're talking with Jordan Stampler, head baseball coach at Pfeiffer University in North Carolina right now. It's been about a year since we talked to you. Podcast regulars should be familiar with you from episode two, where we talked a lot about different levels of college baseball and how to find a fit. Um, At that time when we talked to you, your squad was riding a 19-game win streak. And now that we talked to you a year later, you guys are coming off of a a postseason tournament championship. Uh, Give us a little update about the state of your program and and where things are at with you guys. Pfeiffer Falcon baseball is, is doing great right now, Ethan. Um, We came off of a 31 and seven season in 18. uh, So we had some expectations kind of going into 19. And, you know, I think some of the teams in our conference and stuff kind of, kind of knew that, you know, we had a talented roster and, um, you know, our guys responded to that, to that kind of call all year. Um, we ended the end of the season at a 30 and eight record. So just one game off of our 18, um, record and stuff. And, and, you know, having that pressure, I think it was a nice way for our guys to respond. Um, you mentioned that 19 game win streak. That's something we talked about a lot kind of coming into the year. And I, you know, I asked our guys to just kind of put it behind us and, and try and just, you know, go out there and play their best brand of baseball, um, game one and we'll see what happens. And, you know, unfortunately, like you said, we, we lost uh, the first game of the year um, and actually lost the first two out of three, but, you know, I think it, I think it set us up to be really, really good down the stretch and, you know, um, a bulk of our season. So we definitely learned um, who we were kind of throughout the year and, and got a chance to compete in a postseason tournament. And, and uh, like you said, just, just made the, made the most of it. Man. Yeah. So when you're talking about back-to-back 30 win seasons in your first two seasons at the helm of of the Pfeiffer University program talk a little bit about the culture that you're trying to create or the culture that you've created and uh and how that translates to the type of players that you're looking for yeah I mean I I don't know if it's created I don't know if I if I was you know the one who created the culture I think it's um you know an effort by kind of people have come before me um and me being an assistant here, you know, under Dusty Blake, I think he had a lot to do with it. And then our assistants now helping to carry out, you know, what we kind of talk about every day and kind of hitting on three areas, um, you know, that, that we we want our guys to be uh, consistent in every day. And that's being a good person, uh, first and foremost. So, you know, just making sure that they're treating people with respect, be it, you know, in our clubhouse, on campus, um, and, and, you know, in the classroom, 
um, in the community that they're helping us do the little things, you know, that a smaller program has to do to, to try and be successful. Um, and they're, they're going to be an integral part of that. Um, and then after that, we, we talk about being a good student and, um, you know, we, we, we want our guys really not just a student in the classroom, but, but to be a good student of life really. So even after they, you know, hopefully graduate college and maybe they go on and get a second degree that they, that they want to continue to learn and educate themselves. Um, and so we talk about, you know, relentlessly in the clubhouse is just being down there to learn as much as you are to just, to just, you know, act on things. Um, so we want them to kind of always have their brains turned on as opposed to just walking through life, um, you know, with their head down, so to speak. And then the last thing, and we usually feel like if, if the first two kind of, um, if we could check the boxes on being a good person and a good student, um, then we feel like we're, we're going to get a guy who, who, you know, genuinely wants to be a pretty good baseball player. Um, and that's number three is just being a, you know, being a good athlete. And so I think if we could, could kind of crush the first two, then the third one kind of takes care of itself. You usually get a guy who's willing to put in the extra work, um, you know, that, that it takes to be as good as they can be. And that's what we just, we want them to just be, to max out their potential. Um, you know, we understand that we're not dealing with guys who are going to be drafted in the first round or have 25 year pro careers necessarily, but um, we, we want guys who just max out their potential and kind of come to get better every single day um, that, they're, that they're in our program. Yeah. And so we were kind of chatting before we were recording and we talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, you, you talk about being a good person, uh, being a good student. And then the last thing is being a good baseball player and the recruiting process often works the opposite way, right? You're evaluating a player's performance before you actually evaluate their character and their academics. So talk a little bit about that. And um, what is your process once you find a kid to make sure that they're, they're checking off those three boxes? Yeah, I think it's, it's almost a complete opposite. Like, like you just said, um, you know, you go to an event, you know, be it a showcase or a tournament, maybe a kid that you've heard about, you know, he could play. This is, you know, a guy that might fit for your program. Um, and we get leads like that all the time. And so, um, you know, we kind of, we kind of check on the kid and look at some various different websites, see if he's got any video online, stuff like that. And then we'll follow up, you know, hopefully, hopefully try and see him at a tournament or something like that. Um, go see him, you know, if it, if it makes sense to us from, a, from an athlete standpoint, you know, we'll come back and, and kind of make sure, you know, send us your grades, send us your transcripts, um, make sure it adds up academically. So now we're going athlete and student. And then kind of in, in that process, like somewhere in, in the time, in the same timeline as we're looking at grades and stuff like that, we're, we're doing our homework, calling us high school coaches, travel ball coach, maybe a guidance counselor at his high school, um, checking out his Twitter, his social media, his Instagram, stuff like that. Um, seeing if he's got just any, you know, any glaring problems that we, we need to be definitely aware of, um, and, and, you know, try and almost, almost look for holes, um, in the kid's character or something like that. You know, somebody that would be a, a culture killer or, you know, an energy vampire or something like that, um, to use a, a few terms that I'm sure you've heard on your podcast before. So, right. um, yeah, so I guess it does kind of work backwards. I think it all happens rather quickly. And then once we kind of find out, you know, for the most part, these guys who, who take baseball pretty seriously and say they want to play in college um, are pretty cognizant of what they're kind of doing, you know, on Facebook or on Twitter or um, taking care of their grades. Like for the most part, the guys that we go after, you know, they're, they're pretty good and pretty diligent with all that stuff. So, but every once in a while, man, you do find somebody who, uh, who just doesn't seem to have it together and, and, you know, trying to keep good culture and a good core group of guys together is, isn't easy. So we try and, um, we try and steer clear of those guys for the most part, to be honest with you. So if you find something that could be a potential question mark, right? Not a, not a definite thing that will cause you to cross a guy off your list, but maybe something that gives you pause. How do you go about figuring out if that's going to be an issue? Is, is that something that you address on a campus visit um, you know, maybe it's a suspect social media post or, or there's just some little question there, you know, are you going right to the source and, and, 
and talking to the kid about it? Or how do, how do you go about that? Because it sounds like you're doing a ton of research. And if you do a ton of research on just about anyone, I'm sure you're going to turn up uh, something that gives you a question. So how, how do you really get to the details? Yeah, I think, I think you got to ask questions um, and you got to talk to the kid directly. Um, you know, I, I think I'm not, I'm not the oldest and I haven't been doing this forever, but for the most part, I could tell when a kid's being truthful or he's, or he's uh, you know, genuinely a halfway decent dude kind of thing. Um, if we do have question marks and maybe we look, you know, for an outside source, like I said, like talk to the coach, is he it's their high school or travel ball coach potentially see if there's ever been any character flaws um, with him during his supervision. Um, maybe, maybe talk to his parents extensively and, and maybe reach out to somebody from their high school, like a teacher, like I said, a guidance counselor, maybe who really wouldn't have any dog in the fight um, kind of thing. Just, just wants, you know, would like to give the honest truth, so to speak. Um, Cause you're absolutely right, man. Like everybody's going to have some sort of flaw or some sort of um, mishap in their past. Maybe um, nobody's perfect. So obviously if we dig and dig and dig and dig, we're going to find something. And if it's, you know, uh, he, uh, he showed up for class once a little late in high school. You know, I, I don't think that's something that we're going to, um, we're going to hold, you know, to an extremely high standard kind of, we're kind of, okay, you know, everything else matches up and, and this kid isn't perfect. So what else is now? Yeah. So. Well, you, like every other coach, you're doing extensive background research. You're really finding a lot about a kid. I think you did a good job of highlighting that. We've been talking a lot about campus visits in our content this week. I'm hoping you can give me some of the, the do's and don'ts for players on a campus visit. What, well, let's start with things that players can do on a campus visit that are going to leave a positive impression on you as a coach. I think the number one thing is to kind of come to a campus informed, um, somewhat informed, you know, I think it's important to kind of know um, know a little bit about the roster, know a little bit about the coaching staff, know a little bit about how they how they were, you know, during the season that they're in or, or last year, kind of, you know, depending on where they're at in the timeline. Have a general general type of knowledge for the program that you're going to visit. Um, I think it's important that you know the coaches and their names and, and, and you know, their background in some regard. Um, because I think when you go and it's, you kind of really don't have any questions to ask almost because you, you are so blown away by the information that a coach and staff member might be giving you. It, it looks as if you just didn't really do your homework or research at all prior to that visit. Does that, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. So what you're talking about, and we talk about this in one of our articles, it's actually the first thing that we, we talk about when we, when we're at the articles titled how to ace a campus visit, it's have, have a general information, be able to be conversational about the program, be able to say things like, Hey, I saw that you've beaten your rival school the last, you know, three years in a row, or I saw that you guys had a really good year in conference last year. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Just stuff that lets the coach know that you're interested uh, in the program just as much as that program's interested in you. Does that match up with your experience? 100%. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Now, any other things that besides just being generally informed that are, are major dues that things, things that kids should really make sure that they're doing before they show up to campus or while they're on campus? Uh, while they're on campus, man, like I really encourage, I really encourage our visits to, um, to ask questions. You know, I, I think like, I, I know a lot about our university and our, and our school and our program. Um, but I don't think I could possibly cover absolutely everything in, you know, two, three, four hour span. Um, right. So I, I, you know, there's things that, that, uh, you know, I, I lose just from, from being here and, and, you know, it takes somebody to ask me like, Hey, are you guys sponsored by so-and-so or, Hey, do you guys travel by charter bus? Like, I think those, th those things are very important. And I always, you know, me personally don't always cover them. I think my staff does a really good job for the most part. Um, we could answer just about anything, but you know, I let I let our recruits know this as well that if I don't know the answer, I'll find somebody on this campus that does. Um, so I encourage them to ask questions, and if I don't know the answer to it right then and there, I'll write it down and find out and get back to them as quickly as possible. But the last thing we want is somebody leaving here and then ten minutes, you know, down the road, 
saying, oh, man, we really should have found out, you know, if if they if our parents get in for free to home games kind of thing. Um, you know, whatever is important to the recruit and their families, we want to be able to give them as much clarity as possible in the moment because they're, they're always going to be as excited as they will be about your university, you know, while they're here. Um, and so we want to give them, you know, all the information they can. And obviously if something pops up later, you know, we make ourselves available to them, but we want to be able to help them, um, you know, as much as we possibly could in the moment, kind of, kind of put them on information overload. Uh, for for lack of better term, while they're here on campus. Yeah, and you know, there's some topics, some some questions that sometimes seem like they're taboo. You know, stuff like playing time, um, which can be difficult to talk about. But if we're being truthful, you know, a player should have a good idea of what their chances are of playing, or at least competing for playing time. We know that at every college program in the country, playing time is earned. But is there a good way for parents or more, I guess, not really parents, because it shouldn't be parents who are asking this question. It should be the recruit. Is there a good way for recruits to ask about playing time? You know, what, if I want to know what my chances are. Yeah, I think, again, I think this kind of goes back to having an understanding of what a team's roster might look like. You know, if, if Jordan Stapler is going to take a visit to an SEC school that has, you know, five middle infielders and, and they've asked me to come, um, you know, to come on a visit and I know that none, none of them are draft eligible and, and chances are they're out probably going to return. You know, I think, I think there's a way to um, respectfully bring that up and say, Hey coach, you know, I, I did look at your roster and I noticed that you did have five middle infielders and it looks like they're all going to be returning. You know, how, how do you see me fitting in, um, with your program, knowing that you are returning those five, those five middle guys. And I think you got to have a straight shooter as a coach, man, because if he can't answer that question, you know, uh, concise and, and accurately, um, then you got a problem on, on the side of the coach as well. Am I, am I wrong there? Ethan? No, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's the responsibility of the recruits and the parents to ask difficult questions. You know, I think you, mm-hmm. you, you talked about, having a kid on campus and wanting them to be fully informed so that they can make the right decision for them. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I think too many players and parents don't ask the difficult questions because you're right. If a college coach can't answer that question or they're hemming and hawing or they, it doesn't match up with what they've said previously, you know, I think that's something you have to do more digging on in the same way that as a coach, if you look into a player and you see some red flags, like you said, you're going to call the counselor. You're going to call um, maybe one of his teachers. You're going to try and find, get to the root of the problem. And players and parents have to do the same thing. So I think there's, in my personal opinion, and having been a recruiting coordinator at the Division One level, I don't think there's a bad question you can ask uh, in, in subject. I think there's poor ways to ask questions and that the right. tone the tone is is really important. So if you frame it like you said from a place of knowledge, hey, you know, I noticed the roster is pretty full of middle infielders. What does this mean for me? Those are the types of questions yep. that you have to ask. You just have to ask. Um, so I think you bring up a great point. Let's let's talk about some of the things. Maybe it's some of your personal pet peeves or, or just general stuff where it drives you nuts if a guy does this on a campus visit. Um, what are some, some of the major don'ts? So obviously I'm not going to drop any names on here, Ethan, but stories. I had a 17 year old kid who we really, really liked. And um, my recruiting coordinator, you know, spoke, spoke pretty highly of from a, from an athleticism standpoint. And we brought him to campus and his grades matched up and everything. So we started to kind of do our homework a little bit. And, um, I sat down in my office to meet with them and I, you know, we're in there for uh, anywhere between 10 and 30 minutes. You know, it wasn't an extensive period of time and probably about halfway through however long it was, man, he, he pulled out a cell phone and I, <laughs> and started like scrolling or texting or something, just diddling on his phone. And, um, you know, as part of the reason I don't remember how long the period of time was because because I, I almost immediately completely lost interest in what was going on. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think we do a lot for, for the kids that we can bring in here and their families and, and, you know, the process of recruiting a kid and getting them to campus and lining up a visit and coordinating it with the admissions team and showing them all of our facilities. Um, a lot of times it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, so I think a lot of times, like, the least you can do for us is just act interested for the two, three or four hours that you're on campus here for. And it was like, you know, an immediate turnoff for me um, when, when this kid did it. And, you know, I'm sure he didn't mean any disrespect at all. You know, his phone probably vibrated and he pulled it out and, and um, whatever. But um, that was like an absolute no for me. And I kind of came out and I, I talked to our staff and, and, you know, the funny thing is, is I was like, Hey man, you know, I talked to our recruiting guy and I was like, Hey man, how, how'd you feel? About, how'd you feel about how it went? And I, I didn't try to jade the conversation or push it in any one direction. And he was like, you know, I really didn't get a great vibe from him. He, he didn't seem that interested when he was here. And then I was like, okay, because this, this, and this just happened in my office. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if he's for us, man. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So, you know, it, it was, um, I think our staff was kind of consistent on, on how we felt the demeanor of the kid and, and the family were um, on our campus. And it, you know, I don't want to say we wasted our time because I think we needed to find that out, but it was, it was very, very apparent to us that, you know, that specific recruit wasn't necessarily a hundred percent interested in being here for the time that he was here. And it wasn't just me in my office. It was obviously apparent to everybody else in our staff. So I would say that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves, man, is that, you know, I like to meet with every kid that we bring on campus, obviously. And, um, you know, if, I, if I'm if i taking the time out of my day to kind of have my undivided attention with you and your family, then then I, then I would expect the same. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it kind of obviously did kind of rub me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. So really what you're talking about, whether it's a cell phone or whether it's just general lack of interest, you're talking about being present, right? You're talking about making sure that, what you're doing is, is right now. It's, it's what's important. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Other than, other than that, any other major don'ts that you would throw out there for recruits and parents that are listening to this? Um, I mean, I, like, I, I think a lot of it falls on the recruits responsibility to be, interactive and, and proactive on the visit. Like I, I'm not a big fan of when recruits don't really have much and their parents or, you know, their guardian or their high school coach is the one rambling off questions. And, and Ethan, don't get me wrong, man. I answer every one of them and I, and I'm, I'm in it for the information. And a lot of times, you know, a student athlete might feel apprehensive or uncomfortable or, or, you know, it, it's something different for him. And I understand that. Um, but this is a time for, for the recruit and it's, you know, a, a decision for him. Um, you know, or her, if you have potential softball girls listening to your podcast and stuff like for them, uh, it's not really for the parents, you know, ultimately we're, we're recruiting the kid to come play baseball for us. And, and, you know, their parent or high school coach isn't going to come and play for us. So we want the kid to be proactive and interactive. But like I said, I wouldn't say it's a pet peeve of mine. Cause I do think there are kids that are uncomfortable, um, you know, and they're not necessarily conversation starters and, Part of what we work on every day is, is making guys more social, um, putting them in environments that make them feel a little bit more uncomfortable and vulnerable in our clubhouse with our team. Um, because the way the world is working right now, Ethan, you could stick your head in a cell phone and not look up for three or four straight hours, man. Um, and I think that's partially why we see that, you know, with kids on campus uh, more frequently than I would like and more frequently than probably most college coaches would like is the lack of um, social aptitude, maybe. Um, and, and, you know, it's part of what we try and teach our guys while they're here. You know, it's not just baseball class 24 seven. We try to teach them and prepare them to become social, well-rounded human beings. So that way, when they leave here, they, they could, you know, they can construct themselves well in, uh, in the real world, so to speak. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point, right? Because I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here and say that, maybe when the kid's buried, you know, it's, it's a different type of social interaction, right? So that kid may very well be creating a social interaction on his phone. So I guess my question for you is knowing that this is becoming a bigger issue. Um, how do you walk the fine line between making sure that that kid has interpersonal skills that work in a face-to-face -face interaction, you know, something that's going to help him. 
So you're so well versed, Ethan. That's such a such a much better term for it. Is is what was it again? What did you say? Interpersonal, right? Mm-hmm. So how good. Do, yeah. So, so how do you walk that line between knowing that hey, kids do need to have a better understanding of technology than they did when even you or I were mm-hmm. were in college. A lot of the jobs are relying on that. Heck, you know, we use social media for keep playing baseball as a major platform to get our information out there. So, you know, I don't think you're saying that um, all of this is bad. So I'm wondering how, as a coach, knowing that those interpersonal face-to-face skills are critical and also the technology is becoming more important, you know, rather than just saying, you know, kids these days are always on their phone. How do you walk the fine line between making sure that they're able to live in the world that we live in right now but also have some of those um, those skills that they need for, you know, dealing with with human beings face to face. Oh man, um, I I don't know if I have the answer for that. Uh, I think we do different things to promote growth in different areas. Um, you know, you know me, like I'm I'm I love Twitter, man, and I I, I I'm on Twitter all the time and not so much with Instagram, but I interact with people and different coaches and networks, ABCA chat, stuff like that all the time on Twitter. And and you're absolutely right, man. That stuff is extremely important in today's society. Um, So I, you know, and I don't know if we push that on our guys, like to teach them or, or educate them on how to interact socially um, through, through a cell phone or through a computer. Like, I don't know if we do, and maybe, maybe we need to do a better job of actually teaching them how to do that. Now, I think what's important to note is there's like a time and a place for it. And Ethan, I mean, we've had meetings before in our clubhouse where I'm like, hey, guys, pull out your cell phones real quick. Go on your Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, look on a buddies. I need you to type this in and follow this guy. Like we've done that stuff before. Um, so I think in some regard, like we are teaching them um, skills to kind of be in different social environments. But there are absolutely other times where, you know, uh, somebody's cell phone rings in their pocket you know, during a team meeting and I'm like, Hey man, you, you're going to, you're going to go ahead and turn that off now. Thank you. Um, so I think it's, it is, you know, you said it a fine line. Um, I would say that we could probably do a better job of actually promoting one and, and giving them a, you know, an idea of when's the right time and when's not, um, to interact and, and to, to take your face out of the phone kind of thing. I think we could do a better job of promoting that. So, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the curveball question because you gave us something to kind of look forward to work on in our clubhouse next year. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a critical skill, right? The ability to figure out when to do which thing. Um, and that's not a very mm-hmm. elegant way of, of putting that. But, you know, when is the time when it's okay for a player to bury his head in his cell phone? When is it okay for a player... Uh, or, or when does a player need to just put that thing away or turn it off? And I think a lot of kids are struggling with that in the recruiting process, right? You know, they don't know that when a college coach sees them with their, you know, answering a text message in the dugout before a game, that that's going to be for a lot of coaches a mark against them, right? Because it shows that they're yeah. not invested in the game. They're not fully into what they're doing. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that. So it would be interesting to hear, you know, how different coaches are walking that line of, of teaching that. So that's a, it's an interesting topic. Um, let's talk, I want to talk more about your, let me ask you this. Would you say, you know, I I think there's actually coaches who use cell phones, like, like use them throughout practice or a practice period, whether it be for video or tracking something for a certain, you know, group of players or, or individual players. How, how do you walk that line might be a better question. Cause now you're asking guys like, Hey, you need to have your cell phone out for this blast motion to, to take your reading down for this, um, this or that, like the technology part of our game is so fluid right now, Ethan, that, that, you know, if some, if some, um, somebody gets a text message while they're on their phone and they have it out for, for the advancement of themselves individually, like you're asking them to skate on that sideline now. Right. Yeah. Well, I think we do, it, we do some stuff like that, man. I think it all boils down to uh communication, right? Time and place. Yeah. 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 Time and place, clear, clear communication. Um, 
And that fixes a lot of those problems because obviously there's an infinite number of scenarios where we talk about, but you're right. Technology is becoming a bigger part of it and it's going to be trying to figure out how each program wants to um, walk that line, how they want to incorporate that, what's okay and what is, what is not. And if you communicate that well, obviously that restricts a lot of those or it takes care of a lot of those problems. But yeah. it's an interesting thing because the the day and age of, um, you know, maybe you're right. Cell phones off at the field, or you know, maybe maybe that day and age is over, and it's finding what the new appropriate way to use technology is. But that's a yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting. We're talking about this. I went to go. Um, Chad was down in in Charlotte just the other night. Chad Sabaka. He's he's with the stripers now and triple a and stuff and he's playing in charlotte and i go i show the field an hour early and um he like he was texting me like minutes before he walked out onto the field like hey you know you want a bag of seeds you want a monster and i know he's about to walk out to the field and you know construct himself like a complete professional but he's texting in a clubhouse right before he's about to walk out there now I think in college, like we see guys texting right before, you know, they kind of go sit in the dugout before the national anthem. We're like, Hey, you know, you got to lock in, you know, I would almost guarantee that nobody's telling Chad Sabaka, like, Hey, you got to lock in. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's like a a standard that we hold some of our guys to that. It's like, you know, is this, is this really deterring them from being bought into what they're about to try and do? I I don't know. Yeah. And that's obviously a whole, Whole another can of worms. You're talking about a relief pitcher who's not going to go in the game for a few hours, you know, to be locked in throughout and a professional, the, a right. professional. Yeah. To, to be locked in for six, seven hours, not, re, you know, not realistic, you know, maybe for him, it's when the, when the fifth inning hits, that's where I'm locked in or it's the third inning or, you know, so a very interesting point because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, when, when is it time to lock in? And I think that's a discussion that every program needs to have. Hey, when this, when this happens, um, you know, we're, our focus is, is here and it may be different for each yeah. guy. Yeah. Interesting, interesting topic that, you know, we're going to have to talk to more coaches about, uh, for that, sure, we, man. that we bring on the podcast. Um, but what I was going to ask you about is I'd really like to know, you know, what is a day in the life of a Pfeiffer Falcon baseball player, like from the time they wake up to the time their head hits the pillow. I mean, can you, can you really bring this to life for people out there? Because, you know, one of the, one of the main things that we're trying to do at keep playing baseball, we want to give a, an honest and realistic perspective, right? Because there's a lot of kids out there that say they want to play college baseball. And then when it comes time to put in the daily work and go through the daily schedule, you know, they don't realize all the things that college baseball players sacrifice and, and you're coaching at the division three level, but it's the same thing at division three and AIA Juco, no matter where you're playing, you know, baseball is going to be a primary focus. Now we've talked about how important it is to understand, you know, how big a piece of the puzzle baseball is for different programs in terms of the college experience. But can you kind of bring a day in the life bring it to life for us. What What is it like for your guys? I mean, what are the, the grueling aspects? What are some of the benefits mm-hmm. that they have? Talk a little bit about that. Well, I know how badly you wanted to say the word, Ethan. I know you did just the, the grind of it all. That's mm-hmm. really the word that you were looking for, right? No, took, took the hard pass on the grind. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think guys, you're right, man. They, they, they sign up to say they want to play college baseball and then, uh, you know, everything that kind of comes with it, um, seems like a, just a daunting task, uh, for, you know, the better part of 300 days a year or something like that. Um, so, you know, I think it depends a lot on the time of the year. Um, but just to kind of give you an idea, like everybody loves the spring, man, you get to play games. You kind of, you don't really, your practices may not be as long. It's, it's, you know, you're getting a little bit of work in once the season hits and kind of staying sharp. Um, but the toughest time of the year typically is, is going to be your fall. Um, and I think it's a rude awakening. A lot of times for freshmen or transfers um, who come into a program and have to establish themselves in a different culture. 
Um, but to give you an idea, like in our program in the fall, um, now in division three, you have a certain, a lot amount of a time to practice with your team. So during, our, during that time frame for us, um, quite frankly, Ethan, like we, we do as much as possible during that time. Um, so we, we're not allowed to practice for the entire fall. Um, we just have this small little window that we're allowed to practice. And, and we tell our guys, man, like, Hey, listen, we need, we need this window right here. Um, your, your whole undivided attention for, for this amount of time. And I mean, that, that window for us is very, very tough, especially like I said, for freshmen or transfers who may not be used to it. But, um, that window for us, man, typically we'd wake up in the morning and lift between, uh, between six and eight, depending on class schedules, you, you would be in one of those two groups. Um, and then we would more than likely have individuals from like eight till noon, um, just kind of built again around their class schedule. So you, you may wake up, have a lift at six, have, you know, go get breakfast immediately after, and then have an individual at eight down at the field. Um, and then, and then turn around, go, go grab lunch, go to class, you know, depending on your schedule and then come, come down to the field again, usually we'll have a team practice around four o'clock. And then after that, uh, at some point, like we have individuals at night, we have conditioning groups usually after practice. So with our class schedules, like we're not as fortunate to be able to have every single guy out by one o'clock or something like that. So we do have to get extremely creative, but typically, um, in that five week window for us, we have a, um, a, a morning lift, an individual session, a team practice, and a conditioning. Um, and then all freshmen, transfers, and anybody with under a 3.0 is required to do um, up to eight hours of study hall, depending on where they are. Um, eight hours per week. GPA. Eight hours per week. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and, and usually that takes place after their conditioning and stuff. So you know, you're talking about going from six, six in the morning, a lot of times till, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and, and you kind of hit the sheets and wake up and do it again. So like I said, man, we're asking our guys to do that at a pretty high level, um, you know, for that little window that we can, um, because we know that we're, we're going to have to have our attention kind of somewhere else for the fall while we're not in that window. Um, so we give them a packet and stuff to kind of look at, and go through and ask us questions when they're not in that, in that season. Um, but that typically is the toughest time, time period for us and our guys. Um, once we're out of that window and it's like, you know, let's say Thanksgiving break, we give them something to kind of go home and do uh, Christmas break. We give them a packet to kind of stay on. Um, but all that stuff is, is up to the individual. So, you know, with us, it's, it's um, you know, here's what you, we recommend you do. We really, really think you should do this. This is going to give you the best opportunity to be as good as you can be if they don't do it, Ethan, it's, it's kind of up to the player and it's glaring who works and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we come back in the spring, you know, we hit the ground running from the first day we're back. Um, as long as we're in that 19 week window through, you know, through the end of our playing season. So I think this year we got back in, in the middle of January and we, we uh, kind of played all the way through um, mid May. So. So basically to the end of school, yeah. so you're trading, you know, more of the, the practice, the lifting, that type of, and I'll humor you and use the word grind, that type of grind in the fall, <laughs> you trade that in the spring for the travel grind, the keeping up with, uh, you know, weather is going to throw your, your schedule into a bit of a, a mess at times. So you're talking about lots of games bunched up or travel and different stressors, different challenges that players have to overcome that a player or a not a player but a student who's not an athlete doesn't have to worry about yeah yeah i would say so and that's you know that's part of why we we try and make the the fall as as difficult and challenging as we can to try and make our guys as prepared as possible um you know for that for that sprint come springtime yeah, we've heard we've heard coaches say, you know, the fall is for us, the spring is for the players. Do you agree with that, or is that taking yeah, that's, it too I don't, far? Yeah, I don't know if I've heard that, but that's that's uh that's kind of how it seems. Yeah, that's the way we set it up. I mean, we're trying to prepare our team, and then you know, in the spring it's like, hey, go go play kind of thing. So go do your thing. That's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it's working out all right for the Falcons. Um, so I'm going to continue to humor you and use the word grind. Um, can't wait. 
the summer grind for players, you know, they're out in the heat for coaches. They're out recruiting in the heat. Um, I want you to talk about the summer recruiting from a coach's perspective. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is drive a long way, sit in the heat and watch uninspired baseball. So on the most basic level, I'm wondering if you can give the listeners out there, you know, some things that they can do that are completely within their control that are going to capture your attention as a coach. So regardless of how talented they are, what are some things that, you know, in the, in the slog of the summer in the grind, um, that's going to make you perk up and be like, okay, I want to know more about this player. All right. I think this is real simple, man. And I'll keep it as short as I can, but I think you got to be different. Um, that that's it, man. Like you just got to be different in all aspects of your game. You got to be the guy who's willing to show up early. The guy who's willing to long toss a couple times a week. Still the guy who's willing to get some sprints in before the game. I mean, these are things that like you almost never see on a travel ball circuit. I mean, you recruited enough. Would you agree with me? I mean, you just, you just don't see that stuff a lot. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, and, and I'll throw some statistics out there, you know, right around 11, 12% of high school baseball players go on to play in college at any level. So if you're looking at high school baseball players as a whole, travel baseball players as a whole, you know, the vast majority is not moving on. The vast majority is right. not, not, um, not playing college baseball. So I think you're right. You know, you need to stand out. If you are looking around and blending in with the pack, you're not doing enough to get recruited. Yeah. And it's got to be in the right way. You know, like I think there's another fine line for us, right? Like you don't want to be the hoorah, hoorah guy, the cheerleader, like who walks on the field and mopes after he, he strikes out. Um, now you're standing out in a bad way, right? Like, I mean, I've directly recruited kids before based on the way they run on the field and they take ground balls in between innings. And I'm like, Hey man, this, this guy might catch my attention. And then I watch him a little bit and Oh, Oh wow. Now he could play a little bit too. Um, you know, I, we, we recruited a guy together that was kind of exactly like that. Um, so I, I think you got to be different, man. You got to be different in some way, shape or form to catch the eye of a collegiate coach to, to, you know, especially if, if college coaches are going to a game or an event blind, you know, you got to do something to set yourself apart. And, you know, like, like you just mentioned, it doesn't always have to be running a six four sixty or throwing the ball 90 miles an hour from the outfield. Um, I'll tell you this. I went to a showcase two, two years ago, maybe it was down at Clemson university and, you know, this typical um, pro style showcase ground balls, BP, um, you know, run sixties like that, all that. And there's a kid like literally on the backfield, like two hours before this thing even starts. And I get there probably, you know, an hour and 45 minutes early. I'm walking around campus, beautiful setup, trying to, you know, trying to look at the place and see, you know, how incredible this place is. I'm getting my packet, doing my homework, circling guys. And this kid's out there like, and, I, and I'm like, you know, some random kid probably getting ground balls. He probably has nothing to do with his showcase. Well, sure enough, this dude just walks right over onto the field. Um, you know, he's in a full sweat, man. Thing hasn't started yet. And, and, um, like, and he's, he's part of the showcase and he was one out of, you know, 80 guys, whatever it was, who's out there crushing his, his actual work, like his daily routine prior to trying to, to trying to get showcased, to trying to be seen. Um, I don't even remember if the kid was good, if he wasn't good, you know, what happened, but I remember him getting his work in. And I tell our guys this every, every summer before they go home. You know, we have a lot of guys who want to play in the summers. They want to play for leagues and they want to go play college baseball summer. Awesome. Great experience. Great exposure. It's really good for them and their growth and development. But a lot of times they can't fool that playing games with work. And that's a very um, uh, we see it all the time, man. Guys don't make progress over the summer because all they did was play games. They didn't actually work on their craft. They didn't work on throwing. They didn't work on their foot speed. They didn't work on their strength. You know, they, they played games. And I think there's a ton of value in that. I, I really think there's a ton of value, in that, especially playing at a higher level, like a, a high school kid coming to college and not getting a lot of at-bats in freshman year and trying to play more collegiate-type baseball in the summer. I think there's a lot of value in that, but they come back and they might be in a very similar situation from a skill acquisition standpoint as they were the prior year. Um, 
I mean, does that make sense? Like, I think throughout the course of summer, guys really have to spend time working on their craft and trying to trying to gain skill just as much as gain experience. Um, because I think that's what gameplay does. And there's a lot of good that comes from it. Don't get me wrong. I think, you know, good players play in a lot of games as well. But too many of the guys that we coach and work with and recruit spend all their time playing games and not actually working anything in their, in their off season, so to speak, to bring into those games. Um, so we try and teach our guys to balance that stuff. And I think it's extremely important for our guys, college guys, um, and high school guys to not fool themselves in thinking that summer ball is only to play games, but it has to be to develop and work on things throughout those games and experiment with things throughout those games to bring into your fall season to continue to work on. So hopefully that you could flourish the following spring. Sure. Yeah. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head in a number of different respects. You know, you talked about the kid at the showcase, you know, you got to develop before you can create meaningful exposure. And so that's a pretty good, go. pretty good microcosm of that idea. And then I, I love what you say about, you know, getting your work in and playing games. Great example of that. Tell a story. Uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, former college world series participant with university of California um current oakland a oakland a right so his first year as the oakland shortstop i think he made the most errors in in a's history right and um he started working with ron washington throughout the season the following year obviously spring training but he had a daily routine he got his work in every single day um with coach washington there's there's youtube videos on it um you know, he put his work in, he was getting in, I don't know, maybe an hour of, of ground ball work, an hour of infield work and just positional work in on game days. Right. And, you know, fast forward a few years now, and he's one of the best defensive shortstops in major league baseball by just about every, every metric, right. Advanced metrics, um, you name it, he's right there at the top. And you talk about, putting in the work. Now it might not seem like, you know, showing up 30 minutes early and taking extra ground balls or getting your work in, in the cage is making a big difference on the day to day. But you look at a guy like Marcus Simeon and you turn around and it's, you know, it's been a couple seasons now, you know, those little incremental gains, whether you want to call them 1% better each day or get better each day, you know, whatever slogan you want to put on that, you know, you turn around yeah and look back and you you've come a really long way. So the same is true for the summer. And I would even say in, in high school, right. You have guys, um, who, you know, they're so they're in such a hurry to get recruited, you know, Oh, I'm a junior. Um, like I got to sign, I got to, I got to make my commitment. Right. But dude, you still have two years of high school left, you know, think about all, all the gains that you could make. You know, there's a reason why you have four years of high school. There's a reason, you know, you use that time wisely. So yeah, love what you mean. Love what you're talking about. Um, I read a, you may have seen it too, but I read an article a few years back about Kobe Bryant. I think it was just after he retired, but Kobe, like everybody knows how now, how much of just an animal he was and a gym rat he was and you know, why he was able to come back and play at such a high level after rupturing his Achilles tendon. A lot of guys, you know, some people can't even jump again after that. He was able to play in the NBA. Um, he, he used to say that his work in the summer, what he would do in the summer, you know, three, four, five, five a days was like so far beyond what the average guy in the NBA was doing that when you know, dudes are 31, 32, and they wanted to make a jump, and they they would come to him and say, you know, I'm going to crush it this summer. What do I need to do? He would kind of tell him, like, hey, listen, man, like, you're already too late because um, whatever you do is going to be peanuts compared to what I've been doing for, for you know, 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know. Like, you're talking about one of the best guys, and, and I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan by any means, but I obviously respect what he was able to do. Um, and his work ethic, the more I've read about him, is is freakish, man. And that's kind of what he used to talk about was like, you know, he used to just lock himself in a gym and shoot for hours, be it after a game or during the summer. And, you know, that's why he was able to stay at the, you know, the top of the NBA in terms of MVPs and b- people chasing him um, for as long as he was. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, we we can and we do talk about recruiting and all sorts of things for hours and hours, but um, yeah. you know, you generously donated your time to come back and, and talk with us more. I, I like these yearly check-ins. Um, and I'm trying to think of a neat way to put a bow on our conversation here. I'm not sure if this question will do it, but I do want to throw you one last curveball. So it's been a year since we talked to you last. Um, there's mm-hmm. lots of changes going on in baseball at the college level, at every level. What to you has been the biggest change in the last year in terms of recruiting, in terms of what you're seeing out of players or what players need to do? Have you seen any major shifts in since the last time we talked to you? I don't, I don't know about the last time um, we've talked, but I, you know, I think you kind of touched on it already. Is is um, the 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 need or the want to feel to to be recruited so early on? Um, you know, I, we see kids as sophomores or freshmen at a showcase or something, and they're not even close. Um, and and you know what? They, like by the time they're a junior or senior, like they might be really really good. And there's coaches that have already crossed them off their list because they're not there yet. And I think, I, you know, it's not the kids' fault. It's not, you know, we, we keep going to these events as college coaches and you got to play catch up and you got to, you got to sign that guy and you got to work with this guy. And I don't know, man, like, I think it's a, this is a conversation in itself, Ethan, you know, that it's, you know, there's got to be a parameter or a limitation put on it by, by somebody, um, so I don't know, I, I think, and I don't, I wouldn't say it's been within the last year, right? This is like, probably my whole coaching career I've seen it um and maybe even you're in stuff like people older than me as well but it's I think it's tough um for me to go out and evaluate a 15 year old is, is not very easy for me to say that he's going to be this type of player in two or three years um you know I think that's the toughest thing for me to see from the recruiting side of things I like to watch guys kind of kind of develop and know you know a little bit more of what we're actually going to get and then try and project them um, you know, maybe a year, year and a half out. Um, and I, 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 you know, even, and I still miss, man. I think I said that on our last podcast, like I still not gonna, I'm not going to get every guy right. And I don't know if anybody's going to get every guy right. Um, but I think it gives a little more clarity to the situation. I think, you know, early commitments, early sign or early signing, I guess, um, you know, guys miss more frequently. And, and we talked about, I think we talked about the transfer rate at the division one level. Um, a couple, we talked about it last year, but a couple of years ago was at an all time high. And I think that's partially why, man, is because coaches are missing on kids and kids are missing on colleges because um, they're making these, these, I don't want to call it irrational decisions, but they're making these decisions that may not be the right fit for them, um, you know, at too early of an age, maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I don't know the right way to stop it, man. Like, I, you know, I don't um, because, because, if so-and-so is doing it, then you're going to want to do it just because you know that they're going to get, you know, better players. And, and, um, a lot of times those players do become really good players and they do pan out. But I think, uh, you know, I think it, I don't know, it has to be toyed with experimented with in some way, shape or form to kind of change the landscape of maybe how it works. Well, and Hey, if you're a, if you're a recruit or a parent listening to this, um, you know, you have, you're the one that has ultimate control, right? You decide when you commit, you decide that stuff. If you're continually getting better as a player, right? If you're better as a sophomore than you were as a freshman, if you're better as a junior than you were as a sophomore, if you're better as a senior, you were as a, a junior. Okay. There may be a point where the returns are diminishing, but if you keep getting better, you're going to keep getting more recruitable because we know that you know, college programs at every level. Now the, the division one and the power five, they tend to recruit earlier. So there might be less, you know, there might not be scholarship opportunities if you wait too, too long, you know, late in the senior year, but they have scholarship money, you know, to spend on seniors every year. So, you know, the money, the money and the roster spots are out there. So it really pays off to be patient. And I think, you know, to, to put more context behind your comment, you know, if you just look at the college coaching turnover each year, you know, you're talking about dozens and dozens of coaches changing schools, getting fired, getting hired, 
going to different places. That's a whole lot of commitments that all of a sudden don't have any value anymore. You know, there's no, there's no safety for a kid who commits as a, as a freshman. Now that coach leaves and he's back to square one. Well, you know, coaches haven't been evaluating him or looking at him as closely because he's been committed. It actually puts the kid at a disadvantage by committing so early when, when things don't go according to plan. And we know that, you know, based on NCAA research, you know, you're much, you're much more likely to feel positive about your recruiting experience the later you, um, the later that commitment takes place, you know, because there's less likelihood of things going wrong. So that's just sure, some, yeah. some research. But um, let's, let's go with one more question. We, this wasn't a question that we asked you, but basically just want to open it up. It's not a question at all. It's just it's some open mic time. I like to call it our mic drop time. Um, you've got a captive audience of high school baseball players, maybe some high school baseball coaches and high school baseball parents out there. What do you want them to know? You're a college coach. You, uh, you hold the cards. Open mic time. What's anything you want them to know? But if you want to play in college, there's going to be a spot for you. And it may be not at Pfeiffer and it may not be at, at USC Upstate where I, you know, I was fortunate enough to play at. Um, and it might not be in your state and it might not be in your region. But if you want to play at the collegiate level, that there is there is more than likely an opportunity out there for you um, if, if you want to work and do it badly enough. And I think that's probably the biggest message that you give to your to your audience at KPB. And, I, you know, I stand by it, man, like. I went to a very, very talented high school um, and I was able to play there for um, on the varsity team for two years um, and I was pretty much unrecruited and I went to a junior college and my career kind of took a nice shape after that. Uh, my younger brother was, was not even a starter on his high school team and played in some local travel showcases and stuff and he walked on at Mars Hill and, and Aaron Rembert and uh, the guys up there you know, we're fortunate. He was fortunate enough to get a chance, an opportunity from Aaron and, and his coaching staff. And he took full advantage of it, man. I think he ended up starting for the better part of three years. I know for sure the last two, he was an all conference member his senior year. He ended up hitting 18 jacks his senior season. And, and um, you know, Ethan, like he literally didn't start in high school. And I think um, it's very interesting how some of that stuff works out. You know, you might be a stud on a high school team who doesn't play or um, who plays every day and is the best, the best player in the world and gets recruited everywhere and doesn't pan out. Or you might be a guy, you know, like my younger brother who gets an opportunity after not playing a whole lot in high school and takes full advantage of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I would say that's my mic drop is that if you want an opportunity to play, you gotta, you gotta work for it and you gotta find a fit that that fits you and your family and um it's out there if you want it badly enough it's definitely out there and and um you know i hope most of the guys uh, parents and kids listening to the podcast and, and you know follow kpb closely is is that is the absolute truth that if you want it badly enough and, and you put yourself in the the right environments and give yourself the right opportunities you can definitely find um a good fit for yourself at, at the collegiate level Amen. And we will be there to help kids and parents each step of the way with free resources. Um, you set that one up nicely on a tee for me. That's why we our nonprofit exists. We don't charge for anything. Um, Stamp, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, man. Um, always appreciate the insight that you bring to our listeners and you're you're on quite a streak here, right? So last, first time you came on, 19-game win streak. This time you come on, you just won a postseason tournament. You guys are, if I'm not mistaken, you're eligible for the actual postseason next year. So I don't want to put yeah, any pressure sure. on. Don't want to put any pressure on you, but expecting big things from the Falcons by the time we have you on the show again. If we're talking this time, you know, early June in, in 2020. We're going to have some good things to talk about, man. Looking forward to it, man. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you before then. But uh, best of luck to you recruiting this summer. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. 
If you find value in our podcast, please help us make it better. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a review. All of that helps us get this information into the hands of those who need it most. We're always beyond excited to get questions and provide more information. You can reach us by email at keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Our Twitter DMs are open. That's at keepplayingbb. Same is true for our Instagram account. That's at keepplayingbaseball. And Facebook, keepplayingbaseball. We're always excited to help provide you with the information that you need to make educated decisions in the recruiting process and move towards your goal of playing college baseball. Don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.